Sean mentioned earlier that uh, we launched a series uh, in the book of Acts uh, last week. Uh, it's actually a first of many series. We'll be looking at the book of Acts from the New Testament uh, from now all the way through Easter of next year. And one of my hopes, one of my burdens, one of my prayers in this is that you would come to see uh, that the God that we see at work in Acts Um, The Jesus who's changing lives and acts, the spirit who's empowering and equipping and enabling the people of Acts is the same God, the same Jesus, the same spirit that's at work today. And while our time is different, uh, we live in a different age, he still is working. And I want you to find yourself as a part of his story and see your life in the midst of his story and what he is doing and experience the same powerful transformation that we saw even then. Um, we had our first week in our series, The School of Acts, last week. It was orientation. We kind of just got a perspective on the entire book of Acts and what's happening, how it's unfolding. And a part of that was looking at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says that uh, we'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that the disciples would be his witnesses right where they were. They were in Jerusalem at that moment, and they would go out beyond that to tell the story of Jesus in Judea and Samaria. And he said that part of the fulfillment was that they would go to the ends of the earth. They, they, would, they would go to the furthest reaches of the world. And here's one of the beauties and the exciting things of our day is that we live in a day where we see that unfolding, where the good news about Jesus and what he has done in redeeming us and saving us and rescuing us to the Father, bringing us back into a life of fullness and hope and meaning and purpose, is that it is unfolding not just here, but around the world. Uh, We partner with multiple global partners who are reaching people in parts of the world that you and I can't go. Um, reaching people in our community in places that we can't go. And uh, we're pleased to have one of those global partners with us today. Uh, Austin and Amanda Gagno are right up front, and they'll be up here on the stage in a few minutes. Uh, and they serve, along with their family, uh, two kids, Harrison and Evie. Uh, they serve in uh, Ghana, and uh, they work with an organization called Training Tomorrow's Leaders that serves people in Ghana, uh, Togo, and Burkina Faso. And I would encourage you that if you don't know where those countries are, to look them up on the map uh, and kind of, is it considered West Central Africa there? West Africa, okay. And, uh, and they're, they're doing great work there among people that um, many of them are even unreached. And so we're gonna hear about how you uh, have been a part of that, what God is doing there in the coming moments, and then we'll bridge into a teaching from the book of Acts here as we close our service. But let's pray as we welcome Austin and Amanda. Uh, Father, thank you for the chance this morning to get a global perspective and God, even a timeless perspective on the work that you are doing in this world. Uh, Father, it is easy to kind of have our um, eyesight restricted to what is just before us, our problems, our world, our country, um, but God, that you are working all around the world should excite us and inspire us and strengthen us. And Father, I thank you for the work that Austin and Amanda and their kids have been doing. Uh, We pray, Father, that you would continue to bless it and enrich it alongside all the church planters and uh, people ministering through health clinics and churches and in communities. Um, Father, would you continue to bless that work? Would you draw us uh, to a similar obedience uh, in this world for you? Uh, Guide us through the words of Austin and Amanda in the coming moments. May you be honored and praised. Amen.
today that we were in Ghana preparing for our long 10-hour flight to come here. And I think at some point during that flight, we were questioning whether we were actually going to make it here because little kids and long flights is just, it's not a match that, that goes together. And so, but we made it and the kids, they did all right. And we're, we had a great first week here in the US. Uh, our son Harrison loves coming here because America to him is the land of Cheetos and bacon and cinnamon rolls. And so this past week he's been living his best life. And so we've been enjoying our time. Uh, but we are so glad just to be here and have a few minutes just to update you on our life, our family, our ministry, uh, what has been going on. Um, like I said, our, our children, Harrison, uh, is five. Uh, our daughter, Evie, is three. Uh, they just finished their first year of uh, in-person school in Ghana. So Evie is now in preschool and Harrison is in kindergarten and they're doing really great. Uh, Austin and I are going to celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary this year. Um, and we're also at the same time celebrating uh, 10 years of ministry uh, with Training Tomorrow's Leaders and serving in West Africa. And when we look back on the past 10 years, I can't even begin to describe, you know, all that God has done for us. Um, when we first started, uh, we had 46 churches, I think, in, in Ghana. And now we look back and God has just added to our numbers that we have now have 128 churches uh, in three different countries now. And so we've seen thousands of baptisms. We've seen our children were been born there. Uh, we've seen our Muslim neighbors come to Christ, that God has been so faithful and, and so, so good to us. And throughout those 10 years, Lebanon Christian Church has been with us uh, through prayers, through your support, through your encouragement. Uh, you stood behind us, and we're, we're so grateful for the partnership that we have uh, with you. And one of the things we really want to say thank you for is that this year, um, you guys have supported a project of roofing one of our church buildings uh, in the village of Blanja. And this church has been waiting for a new building for a long time. And finally this year, you guys were able to support us to help put the roof on the building so that they could actually meet there. Uh, and now uh, in Ghana, at least in the northern part of Ghana, this is our rainy season. And so throughout the week, it could rain almost every day. And so when you're meeting for church underneath a tree, rain can be a big problem. So now that these people have a building to meet in that you guys have helped provide a place for them to gather, a place for them to worship, no matter what the weather is like outside. And so we're so uh, grateful for this project and the church and their church planter and the people there, they all send their thanks and their greetings to you guys. Yeah, um, like she said, uh, it's, it's wonderful to be uh, here in the States uh, traveling with Harrison and Evie. Um, honestly, it's, it's, it's been wonderful traveling uh, this time because this is actually the first time we've not had to use our pack and play uh, and baby stroller. Uh, we actually considered probably getting those backpack, backpacks with the leashes on them, but uh, <laughs> we, we didn't go that crazy. Uh, and and, and it's, it's just great. This is actually the first uh, church that we're visiting. Uh, we, we have several more churches to visit in the next three months. So we'd ask that you be praying with us, especially as we are on the road for our safety and definitely our sanity. Um, so glad to be here this morning and uh, truly Lebanon Christian Church, uh, we see you guys, uh, we see ourselves as an extension of what God is doing through you, uh, especially in reaching out to these unreached people groups, places where Christ is not named 
in tribes, uh, amongst the Muslims, amongst the uh, uh, traditional religious uh, adherents, people who worship idols. Uh, the name of Christ has been named uh, because of the partnership, because of your prayers, because of your giving, because of your support, we are able to do this. Another thing that Lebanon Christian Church did this year was to support a couple um, one of our graduates from our in-mission Bible school, Solomon Batumba, uh, have been sent to the tribe, which is the Mampruli tribe. Uh, the Mampusis are uh, a tribe that is tagged Islamic when you go to the Joshua Web's, uh, Project website. Uh, and so uh, uh, this, this guy, Solomon, and his wife, Ruth, and their little boy, um, he's about almost two years old, Amazia, uh, are now learning the language. They are integrating themselves with the people there, uh, trying to continue to reach out and spread the gospel there. And, and just talking about uh, the spread of the gospel, one of the things that uh, scriptures that come to mind uh, is, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. And Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth, tells them this. He says, um, I, when I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about. He says, because I am under compulsion, I am compelled uh, to share the gospel of Christ Jesus. And he said, woe is me that I do not share the gospel. And, and, and that is similar to what Jeremiah says. He talks about the word of God being like fire in his bones. And, and, and because of that, he cannot be silent. Paul circles back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14, and tells them why he is compelled. He, he tells them that the love of Christ is what compels him uh, to share the gospel. And that's what we see with our church planters, uh, especially as they're crossing rivers and streams and uh, uh, riding on motorbikes and bicycles. And um, in, in some places, really dangerous uh, to get from one area to another, but they are doing that with the help of God. Uh, and God has been protecting us as we uh, talk about just the story of, of what God is doing around the world. Uh, we are seriously impacted uh, by the love that you are sharing by, through your prayers. Uh, one of the things that we've, the ways we've seen God move uh, was during uh, the, the Muslim month of Ramadan this year. Uh, somewhere in April, the Muslims fasted for 30 days. And uh, there is a community um, which is strongly Islamic that we decided to go and do an evangelistic crusade in. And normally you are told that you don't do that. You don't go out uh, during the month of Ramadan uh, because that is their holy month. But it's also the month that Muslims are seriously religious and they are seeking. So we decided to trust God. Uh, we went into this community, met with the chief. We were welcomed to come. We told them when we we're going to come, we were going to spend three nights there. We showed the Jesus film uh, uh, to them. We went in the in the homes of the people, uh, helped them with the chores that they were doing, and invited them to come for the evening program. And after all was said and done, after three days, we had over 25 people uh, make a decision for the Lord. A church is meeting there. This, this is the community um, in Gruguya Palsy. You had people coming from uh, like all areas, wanting to be prayed for, wanting to be uh, to, to 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 learn more about Christ, and and and. Even with our team, because we had people on our team who were saying, this is something, we don't do this. And I said, we, we've got to trust God. And really, it, it just proves that 
when we, we put our trust in him and, and, and are opened, uh, he, he, he really uh, is able to make a difference even in our lives. Well, another story I want to share is the story of uh, one of our neighbors. Uh, her name is uh, Mama Ayi. When we moved to Tamale almost 10 years ago, we moved to this community where we now have our mission house and a house. And whilst we were working on it, this lady was one of the women who came helping to carry water, and she's a Muslim. And right then, we, we hit it off. We've been sharing the gospel with her, but she's been adamant, uh, and it's been eight years trying to reach, to reach out to her. This year, she, um, she said she's been struggling with sleeping. She can't sleep. It's like she's really been bothered. We prayed with her, and I said, you know, the, the security you are needing is in Christ. And finally, after eight years, she decided to make a decision for Christ. And it wasn't just her being baptized. On the day we baptized her, uh, we, ha we have a, a little above ground pool uh, that we use for baptizing people in Tamale. It was her and her son both being baptized, uh, receiving new birth in Christ Jesus. And that is proof that even after eight years, God has been working in her life. And so I don't, I, yes, let we, we are always encouraged uh, when we uh, see God move in this way, and it is, it is, it is, it is exciting for us to share uh, with you uh, what God is doing, and we know that God is, God is moving here. Another story uh, I, I just want to uh, talk about is with uh, our, our mission. We've been trying to work at raising funds within country. And about three years ago, almost four years ago, we raised funds. We, we shipped a, a small um, uh, chase tractor. Um, I, I, I didn't grow up using a tractor. I, I've, I've done some farming using the hoe. But whilst uh, here in the States, when we uh, were able to get that tractor in McConnellsville, um, it, it was sent to the shipping company in Cincinnati. And right there, when it was taken off the flatbed, one of the guys gave me a six-minute rundown of how to run the tractor. You know, um, here's the PTO. This is how you drive it and all of that. And when it got to Ghana, I was the expert. Um, so after several YouTube videos and uh, having spent uh, time doing this, we've trained other people to help. And this year, uh, we planted uh, some field corn to try to provide food and to create job opportunities for some of the people in our communities. We planted uh, on 30 acres, and uh, to the glory of God, our harvest has been about 38,000 pounds of field corn. So that's a lot. Um, that becomes a blessing to the people. It's providing jobs. It's actually going to help raise some funds within country to help the mission. But God is blessing us through all these different angles uh, to be the hands and feet of Christ in these communities. And we just thank God for your lives. Um, if you want to hear more about uh, what we, we've, we've been up to the past year, uh, we'll be sharing, um, uh, I think, in, in room 117, right after church, uh, would invite you to, to come and, 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 and just see what God is doing through our partnership for the expansion of the, the gospel of Christ Jesus. We're thankful uh, for Lebanon. We're thankful uh, to you, and uh, we pray for you. We're glad you're praying for us. We're glad you're supporting us. We ask that God will continue to protect, keep, uh, and sustain you, even as we all work at bringing the gospel of Christ to those who, who are in need of that. Uh, may the favor of God, may the grace of God, may the blessing of God be your portion.
Thank you so much. Austin and Amanda talk about um, how we partner with them. Maybe some of you are wondering, uh, well, exactly how am I a part of partnering with them? What does it mean that Lebanon Christian Church partners with them? And I just want to remind you that 20% of all the gifts given to Lebanon Christian Church, the 20 cents of every dollar, um, they get used outside of these walls. They get used in our community. They get used around the world um, to help people come to know who Jesus is to help them find the hope and the life and the meaning that he brings. And uh, through August, uh, not counting September's giving, uh, we've been able to then reinvest for his kingdom uh, right at around $130,000 from your regular gifts. And it goes to places like Training Tomorrow's Leaders or uh, mission partners that are doing medical work around the world, uh, partners in Haiti, partners that are making and leading disciple-making movements around the world like TCM or people working with... Uh, uh, international disaster relief like AIDS and the list goes on and on and all of those are funded because you're faithful and so as you give we invest in partners that share the same mission vision and core values that we do our mission at Lebanon Christian Church is simple it's really the mission of the church uh, we want to love God and love others by helping people trust and follow Jesus and I think it's clear to see that uh, in Ghana Togo and Burkina Faso, uh, that they're doing the very same thing, helping people love God and love others by helping them trust and follow Jesus. And so that's our mission. God has saved us. He has rescued us uh, from sin. He's given us a better way, and we want to help the world experience that. And along with that comes his peace, his joy, uh, his meaning, uh, his hope, and, and that's what we're on mission for at Lebanon Christian Church, but also with believers all around the world. I just want to pray and ask God to let that sink into our hearts to see that we are a part of something way bigger than what's happening even here at Lebanon Christian Church. God, I thank you just for these glimpses that we've gotten from Amanda and Austin. Father, we praise you that you are moving. Um, we know that there are many uh, Muslim people around the world who don't know your hope in life and that they're seeing such traction as your spirit prepares hearts and you call men and women to yourself as they faithfully serve as your vessels to speak to neighbors who help with water, to go into villages during the month of Ramadan, and the list goes on and on. Would you continue to draw people to you? Uh, got people who, because of upbringing, um, may be deceived or who may nev never have known of who you are. Would you do that? And God, we pray that we would see that what's happening through training tomorrow's leaders, uh, as well as our other global partners, is the same things that you want to have happen here at Lebanon Christian Church, in Lebanon, in Boone County, in Indiana, in our country. You want to see men and women come to see you and find your life and find the hope and the purpose and the joy and the meaning that's found only in you. God, you are the answer you are what ails the hurt and the hardship and the brokenness in our world. And God, may we continue to find our life in you and help others find their life in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, kind of a freebie today. You've heard, I think, instances as we've shared about God's power. You hear Sean share about a young man who has worshiped with us who... 
uh, went through this uh, just horrible health incident where he had aneurysms and um, was told that he wouldn't be able to really make much of a recovery, and his parents have watched as God is working, and you heard that story of him even singing. We hear a story of men and women coming to follow Jesus, and I hope that helps you see that the power that we're going to be introduced to and look at in the book of Acts, it is still at work in God's people today. It's still at work in the world today. We don't serve a God who is dead. We don't serve a God who is a part of a, a history book that has no living story. We serve a God who is living and active and ready to move and work in your life and my life and in many of our lives he already is. And I really hope that during this study of the book of Acts over the next several months that you come to see your place in his story. We love stories, don't we, as people? Um, we like our films, we like our movies, we like our television series, we like our documentaries. Uh, we like hearing uh, Amanda and Austin share about their family and about what's happening through the mission of training tomorrow's leaders. We like reading books that have stories. We love our stories. They capture our imaginations, they inspire us, they encourage us, they connect with us deeply at an emotional level often. Uh, sometimes in the fall, like right now, those stories even scare us. Uh, some people like to be scared through stories. That's not me, by the way. I do not do scary very well at all. And, uh, um, but some people like that. We like our stories. We love our stories. And why is that? I think part of it is because we know that ultimately we're, we're living a story. You're living a story. Your, your, your life is full of plot twists and acts and scenes and, and there are supporting actors and actresses in your story. Now you may think that your story is not very compelling. You may find that it's a little bit boring, but nonetheless, that's your story. And I would venture to say, even if you believe that about your life, that there are people who love you and know you who believe that your story is incredible. And hopefully they tell you that. Maybe you feel like your story on the other side is full of all kinds of drama. I think some of you may say, that's my life. Like there's drama at every turn but I hope you'll see that your story matters. That's still your story. A question I want you to think about for a moment. Who's the leading actor or actress in your story? Who are the supporting actors and actresses? You know, in, in books and film, um, there's talk of what is a protagonist. That's the, the main person, character, and the whole story revolves around them. Who's that protagonist in your story? Who's the lead actor? Who's the lead actress in your story? Is it you? Is it someone else? Another question I want you to think about is, how can your story find its greatest significance? If you're living a story with all of its plot twists and drama, how does that story find its greatest significance? And one of the things that we believe wholeheartedly at Lebanon Christian Church as disciples of Jesus is that your story finds its, its greatest significance when you recognize that your story is actually part of a much greater story, a grander story. Maybe you've heard the word before, meta-narrative. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big story. And if you and I can come to see that our lives, my individual story, the story of Craig Howey is a part of a greater story, I find the significance and the fullness for which I was made. My story finds its meaning in his story, in God's story. 
Why? Because God tells me that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Apart from him, how do you know that? Your story finds its significance because he made you. He formed you in his image. He made you different than any other uh, of the animals. Like, like you are made in his image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. That gives you significance. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. If you want to know how fearfully and wonderfully made you are, read Psalm 139 sometime. That might be a great assignment for you is to go home today and just read Psalm 139. Hear all the things that God declares about you. Your story matters, but it matters because it's a part of his greater story, his grander story. You're part of his great story. He, he loves you so much that because of sin and how it separated us, he sent his one and only son to live and to die and to die for your sin and my sin to rescue us, that as we believe in him, we have life in him, that's the gospel. That's the story that, 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 that Austin and Amanda are sharing. That's the story that we're called to share, the story we're called to live. And that makes our story significant, but it only finds its significance in his great story, his grand story. And when you find your story in the midst of his story, you find that significance. And that's why I love the play on words. When we think about history, for me, one of the greatest reminders is that right there in that word, I have the purpose and the meaning for my life, that all of history is ultimately his story. So right there in the word history, we have his story. It's God's story. Your story is a part of his story. Uh, as we continue our series on the School of Acts, we began with orientation last week, and today we're going to go to the classroom of history. And I hope that you'll see that your story is a part of not just history, but ultimately his story as it's unfolded. You're a part of that continuing work that God is doing in this world. We're gonna be hanging out in Acts chapter seven uh, today. In Acts chapter seven, we have a sermon given by a disciple of Jesus named Stephen. Uh, it's actually the longest sermon in the entire book of Acts. Uh, it's a sermon that's unique in that it recounts for us very simply and concisely and in a compelling way uh, how God has been working throughout history. Stephen connects his story with God's great story and what God has been doing. And he does so, as he does so, he challenges some people that are present. I'm guessing that he might challenge uh, even us. But before Stephen even shares his sermon, I need a little bit of background. Uh, Stephen was a man who had been changed. He'd been changed by Jesus. Uh, he was a man who had encountered Jesus, who decided to follow Jesus. He believed that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and it shaped and changed everything for him as it should for us. And because it changed everything for him, uh, God began using him in some unique ways. And one of those ways is that when some of the widows were being neglected in Jerusalem, the apostles, those men who had walked with Jesus, the disciples, the 11 remaining, and now Matthias, who was added to their number, um, called some men to serve in a specific way. And Stephen was one of those who came to get to serve God and to continue the mission of Jesus in the world. But beyond that, Stephen used his voice. He performed great wonders and signs, is what verse 8 tells us. And so God was using Stephen. He was a man who had been changed, and that bothered some of the religious elite. They didn't like Jesus. They had rejected Jesus. And so for someone to be proclaiming Jesus and living for Jesus and doing signs and wonders, they wanted to see Stephen silenced. 
And so they go to great lengths to do that. Verse 11 in chapter 6 says that they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. You want to anger Jewish people, uh, speak harsh things about Moses uh, and about God. And so Stephen hadn't done that, but the religious leaders to silence him uh, want to convince others to tell lies about him. And what follows is Stephen gets put on trial and they're questioning him. And in fact, the high priest questions him and then Stephen moves into this sermon where he just declares this beautiful, simple history of who God is, what God has done, and how that leads to Jesus. And here's how he begins it in verse two. He says, to this he replied. He's replying to the charges and the request of the high priest. He says, to this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. As Dean was sharing in his communion uh, meditation earlier, he mentioned how Jesus says that before Abraham was, that he was. Like to, to start talking about Abraham is to pull at the traditions and the core beliefs of this religious audience. And so he starts with Abraham and he traces the history of God's people from Abraham through Abraham's offspring to Jacob, to the patriarchs, uh, on into to Joseph's specific story, to the time in Egypt and slavery, to Moses' delivery them to the prophets and the kings and the rebellion of the people. He recounts the whole history of Israel, the whole Old Testament in just these 51, 52 verses. And Stephen's aim in the whole process is that he wants these religious leaders to get it. They had missed Jesus. They had missed the heart of the story that all of history, all of God's story, all of his story points and is fulfilled in Jesus. Like that's the one everything is moving towards. That's the one who should sustain everything. Like, like that was Stephen, like, can you guys just get it? Like this is, this is what Abraham was all about. This is what Moses was all about. This is what the prophets came to do. Will you just wake up and see this? And yet the people didn't. And so Stephen doesn't mince words. He challenges them with some words that were familiar uh, even to the prophets and even the people in uh, Moses' day. He says this in verse 51. Again, he's speaking to religious leaders who have read words in the Old Testament referring to the obstinance of Israel. Now he's challenging them with similar words. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. He says, you guys, you don't get it. Your ears are uncircumcised. Circumcision is a sign of the Abrahamic covenant that set apart God's people. He says, your ears haven't even been set apart to hear and to understand what God is really up to in this world. You're missing it. And as you miss it, you're resisting the spirit just like those before you, just like the prophets persecuted as messengers. You're doing the same. You're even hurting the ones who came to tell the story of the coming righteous one, like the ones who were coming to tell who Jesus was, who the Messiah was. Like, like you are harming them, but you've taken it a step further. Look at the end of verse 52. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Like, you are so resistant to the story that God is authoring. You have missed the point. In the process, you were a part in killing God's chosen one. 
Stephen desperately wants his people, he wants the religious leaders to see that all of history has been God's story. And they only find their life and their meaning and their purpose when they find their story in his and that that story points to Jesus. He, he attacks three things that are um, just extremely important to these religious leaders. He attacks the land, he attacks the law, and he attacks the temple in here. Attacks may be too strong of a word. He challenges their beliefs about the land and the law and the temple. Because that's where they struggled with Jesus, right? Jesus came and he not only loved the Jewish people, but he loved Gentiles. Well, that broadened the scope of God's promise beyond the land. Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. It changed their perspective on the law, the instructions of God. They weren't just to know about God or to know the laws of God, but they were to change their lives and point them to Jesus. Jesus on a couple of occasions says that um, he will tear the temple down and be rebuilt. Well, the temple was the place where they worshiped, where they believed God dwelt. And so Jesus challenged that. And Stephen's like, listen, this is all part of what God was doing. All those things, the land, the law, the temple, they're to point you to Jesus. To Jesus who saves, to Jesus who guides, to Jesus who brings hope and purpose and renewal. And they missed it. And what do they do to Stephen? If you read verses 54 through 60, which we don't have time for this morning, they stone him. They, they drag him out and they stone him and they kill him. How, how could Stephen hold on to this hope? How, how could Stephen see so clearly when others didn't? It's because Stephen found his story within God's story. Something that's remarkable about Stephen is that he looks at his story and he doesn't say, listen, I'm the protagonist. I'm the lead actor. Stephen understands that God is the lead actor, that God is the protagonist even in his story. Um, if you journey through the verses of Acts chapter seven, you will find that God takes the lead role. Here's a selection of verses in the 50 verses that Stephen preaches more than 25 times God is the center of the action. He appears, he gives, he promises, he rescues, he uses. He comes in an angel and brings a message. He sees, he hears, he sets free, he delivers, uh, he directs, he drives out nations. His spirit is active. God is the lead actor. Guess what changes in Acts chapter 7? For a season, God uses Abraham. For a season, Isaac. For a season, Jacob. For a season, Jacob's sons and Joseph. For a season, Moses. For a season, uh, other servants. For a season, prophets. For a season, kings like David and Solomon. And they're all just supporting actors, important actors, significant actors. But they're not the lead actors. They're not the protagonists. They're not the ones who take the lead. God is the lead actor. And because Stephen recognizes that God is the lead actor in his story, it shapes and changes everything for him. You may say, well, how do we know that God is the lead actor in Stephen's story? Well, look at how Luke characterizes Stephen for us when he records his story in Acts. Acts chapter six, verse five. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. His life was centered on God. God had the lead. Verse 8 of chapter 6. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great and wonderful wonders and signs among the people. 
God is at the center of his life. Acts chapter 7, verse 55. Even as Stephen is being led away to be destroyed, it says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When Stephen thought about history, he saw that it all pointed to God, that his story was found beneath God's story. All of history is God's. And it changed everything for Stephen. It gave him confidence. When you read this account in verses 54 through 60 and you see a man who's being led away to be stoned, how does he face that? There's nothing here that says he didn't experience pain, but he experiences it with confidence. He, he experiences the adversity in his life, the trial in his life, the trouble in his life with confidence. Why? Because he knows the author of the story. Because he knows that God has been active before and there have been difficult things for his people before and God remained active and God worked things to his good and for his purposes. And so that gives him confidence even as he lives and experiences difficult things. But it does more than that. Not only does it change everything for him by bringing him confidence, but it changes the man that he is, and he becomes a man who lives with compassion. In fact, we see an example in Stephen in the final verses of Acts chapter 7 that remind us a lot of Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, he'd been betrayed, uh, he'd been tortured, uh, he was hanging on a cross, he was suffocating as taking his final breaths, and what does he cry out to God and ask for? Father, forgive Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. In his final moments, Jesus is filled with compassion and says, God, don't hold this against these people. When you look at Stephen's final words, while they were stoning him, verse 59, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen is a changed man. He's been shaped by who Jesus is. His story has found its place in God's story and it fills him with confidence, but it also shapes him to have more and more of the character of Jesus. What's most remarkable about this story for me is not even Stephen's part. It's that it tells a story that you and I are a part of. That the same God who spoke to Abraham and led him from the land of the Chaldeans towards the promised land. The same God that worked through Joseph and Moses is the same God who's at work today. But it's only as we find our story in his story that we experience that and all that comes with it. And yet so many people are missing it. Who's the lead actor in your story? Who's the lead actress in your story? I think if we're honest, uh, many of us probably think that we're the lead actor or actress. You know, it's easy to give our children and students, uh, teenagers, a hard time. It's easy to say to them, hey, you think the world revolves around you. Maybe you've heard that if you're a teenager. I don't know. Uh, maybe you heard that when you were a teenager. Um, but I think if we were really honest, we can look in the mirror and see that a lot of adults act the same way, especially in our consumer culture where we're told that it's about your dreams, your ambitions, your preferences, your likes, your dislikes. If you don't like it here, you go someplace else. We, so much is about me, 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 me. And what happens in life when we think that it's all about us? 
we think that we're the lead actor or actress rather than just a supporting actor or actress. What would happen on a movie set or a television series set if the lead actor or actress had a supporting cast, but they were all actually clamoring to have the lead seat? It would be disruptive, wouldn't it? And what happens in life when we're meant to be the supporting actors in the story and God is the lead actor, but yet we clamor to be in the place of notoriety or to have the place of greatest importance? It leads to disruption. When we make life about us, it's not about him. We make it about our wants, it's not about his. We make it about our likes, our dislikes, our preferences, then what can it not be about? His preferences, his likes, his dislikes. So we have to become people who see our story as a part of his great story that's been unfolding since the beginning, that he's the main player. And he's working everything to hopefully draw us to Jesus, that Jesus might live through us, that we might live in the same Holy Spirit power that Stephen lived in. Yet many of us miss it because we think it's about us. And even disciples of Jesus aren't immune to this. Even those who may be considered religious in our world aren't immune to this. Is it possible that some of the same things that get gotten the religious leaders in Stephen's day of seeing Jesus still get in our way of seeing Jesus? The land, the law, the temple? How many people have got so caught up in their faith and they make their faith more about a space, a place, the United States of America? How many people have thought that there's a special favor just for the United States and God's plan and that distracts us from seeing what God is up to in the big picture? Maybe it's not someone in the United States, maybe it's someone living in another country. They think that there's this special thing for their land and they miss Jesus and what he's doing. Or how many people have grown up, gotten obsessed with uh, the current nation of Israel and its place and, and what's unfolding in the end times and we miss Jesus? Is it possible that some even obsess over the law, the teachings of God, and instead of the Bible guiding us to Jesus and bearing fruit in our lives so we look like Jesus, we just become people who know a lot about the Bible, but it never bears fruit in our lives? And could it be sometimes that we obsess over the temple in the wrong ways? And how many of us are guilty sometimes of associating the temple with a building? with the church and we get upset over what's happening with the paint on the walls or the type of flooring going down or what's being used in our square footage and we forget that Paul gives us a whole new picture of the temple. The temple is not a building, but it's the people of God in whom his spirit dwells. And yet so often even religious people can get caught up in the land and the law and the temple and they miss the one it points to and that's Jesus. All of history has been written building to him and then his work through his people until he returns again. All of history is his story. And you find your significance when you find your story in his. And when you do, you'll find that he changes everything for you. He gives you even a confidence. The reality is, is that many people in this room are walking through their own difficulty right now. You know adversity, you know trial, you know trouble. Uh, maybe it's a relational struggle you're going through right now. Maybe there's some estrangement with you and a family member. Uh, maybe there's difficulty in your marriage. Maybe you feel like your marriage is near its end. Maybe there's a breakup in your life as a high school or uh, a junior high student. 
Maybe there's, there's illness that's, that's your adversity right now. Maybe there's a mental health challenge that's your adversity right now. Maybe it's just the weight of what's happening in our world is your adversity right now. But here's the perspective that comes when we find our story and God's story is that we understand that the same God who worked through Abraham, who worked through Isaac and Jacob and Moses, and the same God who worked through Esther and Ruth, the same God who, who was at work through the prophets is the same God who's still on the throne. And so he was faithful then in difficulty. He'll be faithful now. And it fills you with a confidence even in the midst of the storm like Stephen but it changes even more. It changes us to be like Jesus. As we find our story in his, we should be looking more and more like Jesus every day. As disciples of Jesus are our words, are our actions, are our thoughts, are our deeds, and the way we care for our family, and the way we interact with our community, the way we interact with our church, do they look more and more like Jesus? Because this should change everything for us. And we begin to see as our story is found in his that it has that significance because he brings it the significance. And we begin to see that it's not about us, it's about him. And we begin to see our connection with the global body of believers, that what's transpiring and unfolding in Ghana, Burkina Faso, and Togo are the very same things that uh, God's been doing here and will do elsewhere. Like, like it's the same God at work. The same God at work in Iran right now. The same God at work in Iraq right now. The same God at work in Uzbekistan. The same God at work in uh, South Africa. And the same God at work in Chile. And the same God at work in Haiti. It's the same God. And we're part of this big picture. He's the lead actor, and we just get to play these supporting roles. Man, that takes pressure off, doesn't it? And we can have confidence and be changed, and he can use us to make a difference in the world. Let's pray. And God, I thank you for the power of Stephen's sermon. God, I'm just struck by how relevant it is and has been. Knowing that he preached this, Father, probably somewhere around 34, 35 AD, and here we are 1,900 some years later, nearly 2,000 years later, and it's still drawing us to you and convicting us where we stray. God, will you guide us into your life? Will we find ourselves in your story, recognizing that you are the author and the perfecter of all of, of our lives, that the, the drama of human history unfolds within your great story?